Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Um, Mike, great to be able to catch up with you again. Um, you know, your insights uh, are very valuable to our viewers, investors, and people who want to really understand the market, which is, I think, pretty tough right now because we you know, continue to see record highs. Um, but at the same time, too, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns in terms of what the right trends are going to be and what you have to get right to continue to make money and not lose money in this market. So with that said, why don't we kind of just start with your kind of top-down view in terms of some of the issues that you have to think about in managing money? Sure. Well, thanks, Catherine. And it's nice to be here. One of the, the big factors we have to deal with is um, we do see growth, we do see the economy rebounding and we do see uh, more people getting vaccinated in Canada and different parts of the world at different rates. Um, what we have to deal or I have to deal with as a manager is whether, whether we we're actually seeing peak growth and if growth is plateauing and if growth is plateauing, what is the next level? Uh, trying also to understand the conundrum of even though growth is plateauing, you seeing decent growth forecasts for 2022 uh, may not be as high as the third and fourth quarter of 2021. But why are why are bond yields declining so much? Is that that the bond market is seeing something uh, strategists or the equity markets aren't seeing? Also, have to deal with um, some of the bigger uh, weather or climate issues. Um, you know, very hot in Western Canada, how will that impact crops? Could that lead to an additional increase in, in food inflation? Uh, we saw logistic issues um, going as far as the Suez Canal a few years or a few months ago. And now we're seeing some logistic issues, transportation issues. Well, firstly in trucking, sometimes uh, well, in many cases is a shortage of drivers. Uh, with rails, we unfortunately saw a, a town in, in BC burned down. It also burned down a, a key rail link, a, a bridge. So uh, just the, the transportation logistical issues, how that will play out in the, in the economy. And for the small and medium-sized business owners I speak to, the men and women who run these companies, um, it's a hard time finding workers. So when the government support programs end, it looks like they'll end sooner in the US. Uh, will these workers go back to work? And Will they choose to go back to their same type of job or industry or will they find new jobs? So a lot there um, certainly to be thinking about and to unpack and, and you know, trying to position yourself, your portfolio, other people's money in, in the right, right way. Um, I want to go back to the big question right now, of course, which is, you know, are we seeing peak growth? There's a big debate on that. Um, a, what do you think? And in combination with that, when you do see these bond yields decline to such a degree, what's that telling you in terms of what the bond market thinks growth is going to look like in 2022? Yeah, I guess the, the bond market is huge. There, there's many aspects of it. So as we've seen witness um, government bond yields come down, we would 
maybe sometimes in the past looked to something happening in the credit market as a credit event, but credit spreads are, are still very tight. That's the difference between the um, lower yielding corporate bonds versus the higher yielding um, corporate bonds plus the corporate yield spread to the government yield spread. So um, things are unfolding differently than in the past. Um, number of things happened early in the year. Bonds had one of their worst declines going back 30, 40 years. So we think there was some position rebalancing, people going from equities back into bonds. And, and also people may, may want to be smart and get ahead of the Fed because if, if they think the Fed is going to raise rates, they think there may be one raise and that's it. And then rates will go uh, even, even lower. So um, I, I would say the, the US and to a lesser extent Canada for some bond investors is seen as a safe haven. So that causes some flow of funds to come into US and, and Canadian bond markets. So right now the, the riddle is still not solved, but we'll see how it un, unfolds because you still have very many um, you know, smart and astute strategists who are predicting bond yields to be higher by the end of the year. So we'll have to wait to see how that unfolds. Yeah. But Mike, at the same time, too, we also have very astute uh, strategists, economists and bond uh, money managers who think rates are going lower. I mean, it's very divided. Uh, And there's smart people on both sides of the debate. Very smart people. That's right. So if if you think bond yields are going lower, you, you obviously think you buy into the camp that inflation is transitory. Uh, transitory never being defined, but that this um, burst of inflation will end uh, quite soon, call it maybe, you know, one to three months. Uh, I, I don't see it that way as when I when I talk to the heart and soul of the economy, the small business owners, uh, there, there still is supply issues. Like, for example, one business owner told me he used to pay $3,000 for a container coming out of Asia. Now he has to pay 14000 So, uh, that may come down moderately. Uh, still a shortage of truck driver. We see wages rising, um, hard time attracting workers back into this service industry. So if you truly believe in that, um, w- w- which I'm not in that camp, then you might make a case. But like, don't forget, central banks lower rates to really low levels historically, 80, 100 years, because the economy is facing a shock or a crisis. Last one was a real estate-induced leverage crisis. This time was a, a virus pandemic. So um, I'm not in that camp. I'm not in the camp that we get seven uh, or eight percent inflation. But you know, inflation will, will steadily rise. So um, at, at some point, rates, excuse me, have to reflect that. Have to mm-hmm. reflect higher bond yields. Hmm. And um, in terms of growth, do you think we're at peak growth? Or, you know, I was listening to Kathy Wood, ARK Investments, uh, and she was saying, you know, uh, I'm not going to, I don't want to paraphrase, but, but basically, you know, even if we're at peak growth, um, scarcity, you want to own the companies that actually are true great growers. So you can still win, even if in terms of owning growth companies, if we're at peak growth. But where, where do you stand on, on these comments? Right. So, you know, if you look on a graph, you, you'll notice a dramatic V-shaped bounce in the economy. You've had records amounts of government stimulus, trillions of dollars. So I, I do believe, you know, the fantastic growth that we see in Q3 and Q4 most likely won't be replicated and we won't grow at that rate. 
But if we end up growing in 2022 at 4% in the US, that's still very, that's still a very good growth rate. You'd have to go back to the mid 80s to get somewhere there. And if, if Canada could do 3.4, 3.5 for, for mature economies, uh, that's still good. Another, another factor uh, in, in the US market, S&P 500, you have five companies that really dominate the index. They're 25 or 26%. So um, unfortunately, during this pandemic, the, the big and stronger have gotten bigger. And we witnessed a, a lot of smaller companies just um, get hurt. And some private small companies just unfortunately uh, having a very difficult road, road ahead and, and a different difficult future ahead. So uh, yes, there's growth out there. It's going to come from new industries. Uh, we're going to apply technology to healthcare, which should be very interesting for some companies. Uh, but a lot of these, a lot of these smaller companies are still in their early stages, so they still have to prove out some of their concepts of marrying technology with with various different new industries. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, when we think about your focus today in terms of investing, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what what your fund offers. Sure. So, so the North Fund offers uh, best of breed companies in Canada and the U.S. Uh, we invest in what we call at NCM dividend champions, uh, Canadian companies, mostly that have a, uh, you know, do a very good job in Canada, but have a focus outside Canada's borders. Uh, so, so they can export to, to large markets. Uh, a company like Airboss, which makes specialized uh, rubber equipment and is uh, making um, other equipment for um, uh, other, other equipment used in for emergency workers and military for, for safety. Uh, you know, we're looking at some plays in the US, a Western Union uh, that much has much lower valuation. Limited Brands, which has a catalyst for the spinoff of Victoria's Secrets and their Bath and Body Works is, is ve not very well appreciated by the market. So we're looking at, at those type of names that will, will benefit as consumers uh, get out of their homes and most of the analysts uh, and economists I see, you're going to see a, you know, a continued strong consumer spending. And so within the fund, though, from a market cap perspective, so dividend focus, right. market cap, especially given the, your comments about some small cap companies. And, you know, I, I haven't looked at the stats per se, but, you know, the Russell 2000, it's so important to know. And this is why you know, people do hire small cap money managers is because you might not want to own the whole R2K, Russell 2000, 2000 companies, because there really are many who aren't performing very well to your point about bankruptcies and, you know, shift, shift a shifting uh, economy that is not going to benefit them post pandemic. Right. So, so um, what we've done in, with the, the NORP fund at NCM is primarily have three buckets, um, Canadian, US, and what we call acorns. We think these acorns are, are smaller, uh, smaller growing companies, but can one day mature into larger medium-sized firms that uh, you know, pay a dividend. Um, you know, oh. in, in my fund, I own Storage Vault, which is involved in public storage. I've recently purchased one of their convertible debentures. Uh, so that's the focus, recognizing that as you said, with small cap investing, it, it, at times it can be treacherous because all these companies will tell good stories, but you have to find out what is the path to profitability. And if it's not there, eventually, you know, the market, the, in the market, um, you know, valuation comes out in the end. So 
you have to make sure you're with a, a good management team. The company has a road to profitability. Mm-hmm. And in, in our case, we'd like to see one day these small companies mature into medium-sized companies and have the ability or commitment to pay a dividend. Got it. So why don't we take a look at um, the limited for, for a moment? Um, what's the dividend there? So, so the dividend there is, is, isn't that great. It's, it's um, a smaller dividend-paying firm, um, but, but they have two divisions. Um, I'll just get it up quickly. Yeah. I used to actually cover, I used to cover this company, Mike, when I worked at William Blair okay. and it was called Intimate Brands in those days. So Bath yeah. and Body Works, Victoria's Secret. And then there was also one other concept they had that I cannot remember, right? Well, they had the catalog too, of course, but. Um, yeah. they, they, I think they had Pink, which was more for um, younger women or, or, or teenagers. So um, as you know, Victoria's Secret's a little bit controversial as um you know, maybe some segments of the population have, have seen that as not being inclusive, as being too sexist. Uh, they've had a complete overhaul of Victoria's Secrets. Um, every one except for the uh, CEO of Limited Brands um, is, is a woman. They're going to uh, make their products for different sizes. They're going to uh, have different ambassadors from female ambassadors from all walks of society, which is great. Uh, they're going to spin this out, and so limited brands will primarily be left with Bath and Body Works. I think that's a great company. I, I think they're growing quite well. They have products that really people want to go in the store and try, so there's not a lot of threat from uh, Amazon in, in, in that category. Mm. Uh, and what attracted what attracted me, me to limited brands was the valuation. It trades at a much cheaper valuation than the S&P. Uh, so you have that good growth, you have a catalyst and you have, um, people mm-hmm. returning to, uh, people returning to shopping. So that should uh, benefit the limited brands. What was the benefit with spinning it out? I mean, I, you spin out things to realize value, but you know, it's always operated as one. Um, I, I'm not, and, and I thought that, you know, investors were okay with looking at kind of the two components and not thinking that they're so, um, so different in terms of what the valuation could be that they would both attract. Why, why spin it out? Well, in some cases, investors want focus retail and Victoria's Secrets, um, either you, you love it or you hate it. And, and hmm. over the years, people saw, you know, Victoria's Secrets portraying an image of women was, which wasn't up to current standards. Um, you know, some of the models were criticized for uh, the way they look, the excessive dieting or not presenting a good role model for, for young women. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, also the, the, the founder of Limited Brands was a bit controversial. He had, um, well, he, it was in the press that he had a friendship with um, the disgraced financer, Jeffrey Epstein. Right. Um, so a lot of those factors and just the fact that Um, You know, there may have been missteps. Victoria's Secrets got out of bathing suits. And, you know, uh, there's different versions of what should be intimate um, apparel for for women. So they, again, they want to be more uh, inclusive. Uh, They wanted to, you know, open up the brand. You know, it's got good brand name, but they they want to show that they're changing with the times. And, in the the call it the star of the crown jewel bath and body works 
was getting a bit wasn't getting the, the true valuation it deserved because it was part of the of the empire where you know Victoria's Secrets is. So got it. Okay. I mean I've personally been you know looking for another um consumer discretionary name. So I'll I'll take a look at it. Uh, I'm I'm wondering um when you think about the limited though and you, you mentioned the the valuation what what does it currently trade at around I mean I can look it up but just yeah, it's hard, you know, because one of the criticisms in the market right now is that the valuations are so high. So it's interesting and always great to be able to find something that trades below um, the average S&P 500. Right. So um, S&P 500, depending what estimates you're using, probably trades at about 22, 23 times. So here you have limited trading at about 12 times next year's earnings. Hmm. EBD, EBITDA for retailers, seven times. So, uh, you know, I do expect a lot of things. The dividend yield is low, but... Um, as you spin out and as you have a more focused retailer that, you know, generates a lot of sales per square feet foot, I would expect that dividend of the call it slim down limited uh, because mm -hmm. the shareholders will get a, a spin out of Victoria's Secrets, whatever that's going to be called or Victoria's Secrets, the division could be bought outright by a private equity firm. So I huh. do expect dividends to rise over the years. Um, mm -hmm from limiteds after, after they do the, either the spin-off or sale. Interesting. And um, what, what's your view then right now in terms of the consumer discretionary space? I mean, is that an area that you wanted perhaps overweight given the fact that hopefully we're all going to go back to the office sooner than later? And, um, you know, people really haven't been buying clothes much for a year and a half, two years. Yeah, it's like your earlier comments. You, you, you want to be very selective. So... I would say limited brands is, is, a, is a unique opportunity. So within consumer discretionary, um, I, I would favor, I don't own it now, I've owned in the past, a, a company like TGX, but there's been a great run up. Um, Costco is a great company, but I wouldn't buy it at these levels. So I, I would I'd be very careful on the consumer discretionary side. Um, you know, a staple like, like a Metro is a company we own, it's, it's pulled back a little bit, uh, good history of raising their dividend at, at Metro and, and very good operators. They're investing in uh, new storage for their grocery stores and automating more of that. So, and, and making good penetration with e-commerce. Um, so uh, I like that name. So I'd be, I'd be cautious on the consumer discretionary names and investigate it uh, company by company and not just buy the sector blindly. Yeah, fair, fair point. Um, let's also talk a little bit about the uh, the rate sector. It's interesting when we've seen some trading days over the past week or so, people seem to be interested and in kind of scratching their heads a little bit that the rate sector has been one that has been leading um, over the past week or so. Um, what, what's your view in terms of rates right now? And again, you know, you, you don't you don't necessarily want to buy the sector; you want to buy the stocks. Right. So the rates usually follow um, what happens in the U.S. and what happens vis-a-vis -vis the, the U.S. tenure and, and the Canadian tenure. So as we were discussing earlier, uh, they've come down, uh, come down a lot over the past past month and a half, um, a little bit higher off, off their bottom, but still very low. Canadian tenure, I think you could bring it up. I think it's around 131, 132. So there's a lot of hope that people are going back to the office. Um, industrial REITs have been quite strong throughout the year. Uh, there was a little pullback in some of the apartments. So a, um, a, a Killam, 
Kellum Reed, um, taking a hard look at that. Also, um, uh, at Main Street, look, looking at that as well. So th those are some of the things you, you look at as an investor. But right now, um, you know, core holdings are, are Granite REIT and Choice Property REIT. So a good, a good solid income. Um, you know, when we're in the midst of the pandemic, you, you wanted to make sure that, um, you know, your REITs had quality tenants who could pay the bills. So Choice's biggest um, tenant is, is Loblaws at about 52%. And, and Granite REIT has a, you know, a good blue chip list of clients Industrial REITs are, are in quite high demand as the, uh, you know, e-commerce in Canada year over year, you know, is growing at 40% or more. So uh, those are the type of names. But as I see a, 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 a general improvement or, or greater improvement in the economy taking hold, hold and more workers going back to their, their offices, you know, then there could be room for um, an allied REIT or, or others. But right now I'm, I'm just sticking with the really, the strong REITs for now. Mm -hmm. But as you say, you're looking at some of the apartment REITs. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Killam is KLM, right? Uh, yes. You former, yeah, former corp and they've turned into a, um, turned into a REIT. A original roots in uh, Atlantic Canada and they've ex expanded, um, expanded West. And, and also, um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a name, um, a, a name I like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one that I to actually bought, I feel like it was a year ago. I almost have to check, but definitely um, a high yield at the time um, uh, was the Smart Properties. Yes. So I bought, I personally bought that one as well as um, Automotive Properties and got some That's nice, a, nice like dividends. Um, like Automotive Property, um, they're the only REIT, a smaller REIT in Canada um, that has auto dealerships. They were spun out of the uh, Diwali group out of uh, Saskatchewan. So they own auto dealerships in, in Canada. Um, you know, I guess during the pandemic, people were worried about whether cars would be purchased, but very stable business. Um, the Essentially the dealer pays rent and maintenance and, you know, anything ever really happens with the auto dealer, um, that land is, is very valuable because in many cases it's an, it's in key urban locations. So I don't own that league. Oh, sorry, I don't own that REIT, but I've been following it for a long time. And, and I, 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 like, I like what they do. I like their business model. They're unique in Canada. Hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Because so, I, I wasn't, uh, I, I thought it was interesting and, uh, you know, trying to get a little bit of a nice dividend portfolio myself as well. So um, that was a name I liked. But um, um, so we talked a little bit about REITs, consumer discretionary. I, I do want to talk a little bit about Western Union. Um, yeah. I don't know that that's a name necessarily that a lot of our viewers would be too familiar with in terms of the actual business model. Obviously, the name I think most people know. But what's the story there? Sure. This is a very old company. They actually invented the first ticker tape machine that was used in the New York Stock Exchange. So uh, thankfully, their, their business has evolved. But the story is really about workers um, going around the world and working. I read a stat on Bloomberg that about 8.9% um, of the Philippine economy is dependent on or, or is made up of money transfers from Filipino migrant workers sending uh, money back home. So 
it's not well known, but um, one of the most widely downloaded digital apps is the Western Union Money app. So mm. they've got 9 million users with their uh, Western Union digital app. Again, it's a valuation story. It, it trades at about uh, 11 and a half, 12 times earnings. Uh, they've got a history of, of raising their dividend about 7.8% over the last five years. Um, good balance sheet. And as, you know, as the world re reopens, we know there are COVID rates in, in some countries higher than there are here in Canada and the, and, and the US. But as the world reopens, um, uh, Western Union will do well. Um, also, they're, they're good from a, a, a social perspective. They donate a lot. Um, they donate a lot of, of money to the countries they're in, uh, a lot in, in emerging markets. Uh, and they've, they've got a good franchise and they've got literally feet and boots on the grounds where um, people can go into a store, make a little purchase and, and collect the money transfer that was sent from somewhere in North America or, or Europe. So uh, a good franchise, cheap valuation. You know, people sometimes think about they'll be, um, you know, put out of business by Bitcoin or, or someone else. But I, I think really, you know, in those countries where a lot of the citizens don't have even bank accounts, um, getting money from Western Union uh, is, you know, is, is the only way that money is is getting from, let's say, the United States or Canada to a, an emerging market country. Hmm. Yeah, I was just going to actually ask you about cryptocurrencies and the potential impact that that would have on a Western Union. I mean, I'm sure we're years away, but as we know, if there's even going to be an impact from cryptocurrencies, but um, but that's something that can get you know played into the stock when you see crypto move higher. I mean, do, do you watch that correlation and that volatility? Do you, do you see much volatility in Western Union, depending on who's tweeting positively about Bitcoin? No, I mean, Western Union, like other stocks, is going to move on, on earnings and, and their, their outlook. So a stat from the Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S. Uh, I heard in April was that there are 70 crypto or digital coins or tokens uh, with a um, market cap of over a billion. And there's over a thousand coins or tokens with a market cap over one million. So I can see investors being somewhat um, perplexed or confused with so many choices out there. And also there's the uh, issue of, uh, I think it's Ethereum. They are a coin that's pegged to the US dollar or a digital coin pegged to the US dollar. But in terms of reserves, um, they don't have necessarily a great deal of their reserves in US dollars. They have a, a high percentage of the reserves in commercial paper. So. As I alluded to earlier, there doesn't seem to be any cracks in the in the credit market yet, but we don't know the quality of the commercial paper they're holding. So that could be an issue down the road. Hmm. Um, and it looks as though it has about a 4% dividend yield right now, Western Union, for anyone who cares and, and wants to own dividend stocks, especially in a low low rate environment. Um, and, and the fact that they're able to increase their dividend over 7%, um, I, I guess their cash flow must be very strong and steady. It, it is. Um, obviously, during recessions, it, it goes down. They're dependent on, on workers transferring money. Uh, but they have roots literally around the world. It's a, it's a global company. But um, as we are forecasting strong growth around the world and 
you know, whether we can debate or split hairs as to, you know, when do we have peak growth, we're, we're still going to see uh, good, strong growth. Um, you may have a new leader over the next two years, it may be the U.S. over China, but in an economy that's still growing, you know, world economy growing at 3% or greater, uh, that's that's good news for Western Union. And, you know, they've, they've made the investment in their digital apps. So as their CapEx comes down, uh, they should have, they will have more money to, to give back to shareholders, either in buying back or raising their dividend. Hmm. Interesting. And where's the um, interest in this company right now? I mean, the fact that it uh, has a more attractive valuation is kind of telling me that not a lot of people are necessarily looking at it. Yeah, I mean, you can say that it's a company in the quasi-technology space, uh, but they don't have high growth rates. So, you know, you're not going to attract the valuation of a Shopify or, or other type company. Uh, but the interest is... I guess the interest would be from investors who looked at this company, uh, who know that it won't really get a, a super high valuation, but who realize that it will come out of the pandemic, that they've made the necessary investments in technology. Their digital app is widely used and, and growing. Um, that's where the, the new interest would come from. So there could also be, I'm not predicting it will happen, but there could also be a larger technology company or private equity company that likes the network that's been established not over one or three, five years, but over multiple decades. So not saying it's going to happen. I don't know what the future holds, but they have built a great network and it, it is a great franchise. Mm-hmm. And Michael, when we talk about your fund and, and your approach, um, and it doesn't sound like the way you manage um, the dividend fund is um, as traditional perhaps as some people think about running a dividend fund, correct, absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, because a lot of people I think at home will think that dividends, okay, my banks, my telecom and my pipelines, I'm sure you have those in your portfolio as well, but um, maybe give us a bit of an indication in terms of what percentage you would do in terms of those kind of dividend paying companies versus some of the ones we're talking about, which are maybe uh, a little bit differentiated versus what's on people's minds or their understanding of dividends. Sure. So, um, you know, within a traditional dividend fund, as you say, um, you would see great overweighting in, in banks, telcos, and, and, and pipelines. Um, you know, th- those are great companies within my portfolio. Um, I, I, I have a financial weight, which includes insurance companies at about um, 13.6%. Uh, telcos, I, I could own, you know, so many. Uh, but I own one, uh, or I actually own uh, one Canadian, TELUS, and, and Verizon in the U.S. Hmm. Pipelines, um, there, there's also so there's a lot of good ones in Canada. I chose to I choose to own um, a, a company with pipeline assets, but that's not their core focus. It's um, they have some storage. They they do not natural gas processing. That's Kiara. So I, I thought it was the cheapest one at the time. So I bought that and, and I'm, I'm sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you look for companies that are cheaper than the market that still pay a dividend, like like Airboss that makes, start out making rubber uh, rubber gloves for people in different industries. Uh, they got into gas masks for um, different industries, also for the military. Um, so it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful company. Um, you know, based out of new market, but they have operations in, in the U.S. Uh, good valuation. Again, 
in about 13 times earnings, much cheaper than the, uh, than the TSX. And they've been growing their dividend as well. Uh, so that, that's, that's where you look at. Um, as long as the company's profitable, we do our own work at NCM, so we don't need to have you know eight analyst buys on it. But as long as it's profitable and I can get a, a reasonable position and a reasonable amount of time, I can invest in it. And and where are you on the banks though these days, whether it's Canadian and or U.S. Yeah, so I, I think some of the little pullback I know banks are up today has been over concerns about growth. Uh, so. In Canada, I like the dominant bank, Royal Bank, um, you know, good franchise. You know, you, you may see a little slowdown in the next quarter in, the, in their trading revenue. Uh, the next quarter will, will the last month in month of July, traditionally a, a slower a slower month in the markets or in, in trading and capital markets. I also own TD. They've got a good U.S. presence or strong U.S. presence, more branches in the U.S. than in Canada. Uh, they're a beneficiary of rising rates. And I like the CEO at Bank of Montreal, uh, what he's doing in the U.S. So those are the three, three Canadian banks I own. And also Intact is, is just made, uh, made a number of acquisitions and they're quite dominant in the Canadian auto home and property insurance business. Hmm. And um, what's been your takeaway from those U.S. banks that have been reporting this week? The, the results look good. Uh, very good in, in many cases, but at the same time, uh, they're being met with muted market reaction, probably because we've seen such, you know, movements already in the broader markets. But what, what's your view in terms of some of the results and, and management commentary? Yeah, the, the results have been good and strong. Um, I, in particular, looking at, um, at Jamie Dimon's comments, really about the, the economy being strong and going forward, um, you know, even there's some hints, not not directly from Jamie, but other other CEOs, that the uh, you know central bank in the U.S. may be behind the curve a little bit with re- regards to interest rates. So uh, you know loan losses, we're not seeing uh, big write downs in their loan losses. They're actually releasing uh, reserves, so that's positive. That's been helping out earnings. So th- as you correctly pointed out, there was a big run up, but. Um, you know, I'm like, I like what I've seen from the big banks down in the U.S. Um, after we get out of the summer, um, you know, whether the market goes up or down, you'll see more volume returning. So that'll be good for capital markets. Um, M&A still should be strong. So that, that's a positive. So um, you, can, you can have a pause in the market in, in some sectors or a pullback, but but overall, I, I like the commentary, the fundamentals coming from the bank CEOs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, stepping back and, and looking at, you know, the different dynamics that are going on. And of course, the variants are of, of key concern and also the, um, the slowing rate of vaccinations in the United States um, is also a bit of a concern, particularly as we head into the fall. I mean, how are you... Um, what, what's maybe change? I want to see in your process, but you know how you're thinking about the market versus in the past, because we have these unknowns, these variables, um, and, and events that could could come up. I mean, what do you what do you maybe do differently? Well, you, you look at the world also from a I call it amateur public health analyst. You 
Uh, every day I check the John Hopkins website. You want to see uh, where we are with COVID. I've been doing that for, for a long time since, I guess, since the pandemic started. Mm. Um, you know, interesting stat from RBC. They say even though uh, cases are rising in the, U the UK, their modeling indicates that um, out of 100 people, you have less people being hospitalized because of the rate of vaccination. So we, we have to wait and see. Um, but, you know, the key message from me or anyone is to, you know, is for the public to get vaccinated. So you reduce the risk of, of getting infected or, or being hospitalized. But it, it's something you watch for. And ironically or not ironically, some countries that get more of their population vaccinated will have an advantage, will be stronger. And I think that's where Canadians are, are good because they're getting vaccinated. Um, with the variance, the, how it slightly changed my, my view, the, the number or level for herd immunity, if, if such a thing exists, is probably higher than when the doctors and scientists first estimated it, it may be 85 or 90%. So wow, it's, it's important to be, it's important to get vaccinated. And, um, you know, during the summer of hotter weather, people are outdoors more. And as you correctly come out the, you know, the, 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 the next test for us will be the fall flu season and how, how it evolves. But um, as we're getting more people vaccinated, I have more confidence that you'll still get outbreaks um, from time to time, and you, you still may see cases rise um, uh, in the fall. As what uh, you know, great scientists have discovered is that when you look at the Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere, if your cases go up in the fall and winter, that's just the uh, logical seasonal pattern to coronaviruses or or any any type of viruses. So do expect it to rise, but with more vaccinations, I expect the severity of the illnesses to to be diminished. And and hopefully, I believe hospitalizations will also be decreased with with more people getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we almost have to go back to the beginning of when the vaccinations um, became available to understand that you know one of the key goals was just to you know obviously prevent death, but and part of that was really getting into the hospital. If we cannot have to be in the hospital, that's probably a huge success, um, you know, in terms of what, what it's accomplished, period. Uh, yes, I mean, also keep in mind, Bernstein said, uh, came out with a stat, like on average, it takes about four years to get a drug from lab to getting full approval to be vaccinated. So we did this in record time. Uh, Moderna and, and Pfizer um, were, you know, are, are approved by the FDA under emergency approval process. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's good for science. That's good for private enterprise and industries who invested money into the mRNA, mRNA technology. So we have the vaccine out there. Um, and it just maybe can highlight or point some direction to maybe some of the Canadian political leaders where they should direct some of their strategic and scarce resources to. So maybe Canada can reestablish its pharmaceutical industry so we can have the ability to produce vaccines on Canadian soil. Mm -hmm. That that would be wonderful if we could come come out of it with with that as um, you know a, a focus for everybody. That you know we need we need to have a little bit of meat in Canada as far as I'm concerned, uh, and probably many. Yeah. 
and why not? We can do it. Um, right. It's, it's unbelievable. We've got all this talent and all this, uh, land and resources. Surely we can get this done. Um, you know, if there's will, but, um, but Mike, when we think about, um, you know, I guess kind of bottom line investing for you for the remainder of 2021 and then 2022, it sounds as though you're pretty optimistic. Yeah. Not, notwithstanding, you know, there are, are seasonal periods in the market. There, uh, you know, could be future, um, you know, uh, future tantrums with, with regards to the taper. Um, but you, you have to look at it from that perspective. And when you're investing in companies that are growing their cash flow, are trading at a lower multiple vis-a-vis -vis price earnings or price to cash flow or, or have the ability to raise their dividend, uh, they aren't the ones that get hit the most and the hardest in, in a market sell-off. And when the market sell-offs come, is that's when I put cash to work like I always have. So uh, you have to keep that into perspective. Mm -hmm. Some of the safe haven stocks, um, pandemic stocks have been bid up. Uh, but, you know, as a company like Clorox has come down, maybe I, I can take a look at that one again. I don't own it, but mm -hmm. currently kicking the tires in Clorox. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like, like a Costco, a great company, but I don't want to pay 33 times earnings for it. Um, yeah. But similarly, like I wouldn't buy Amazon five years ago, but today I own it because the valuation has come down and I think there's great value with their Amazon web services. So it, it's a market, it's, you know, truly after many years, it's turned into a stock pickers market. So uh, value in the market will out in the end. And that's what, that's what I have to do. And that's what my unit holders expect me to do. Hmm. And just to pick up on Amazon, what, um, um, what, what does the valuation look like today? I mean, could, could people step in and buy it today? Because I think so many people missed it. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think you have a company growing at over 20%, trading at about, um, you know, when you, you X out their cash, trading at about uh, 18, eight and, eight and a half times price to cash flow. So, uh, you know, you have a new leader, CEO, which is great. I mean, Jeff Bezos was a great founder and starter, but obviously now he has other interests. Um, if they do ever spin out Amazon Web Services or have that as a separate public company, I think you get a valuation bump, but um, no dividend. Uh, so this is a rarity in my portfolio, but it has the type of growth rate that you don't really see in Canada and you don't really see from a big company. So that's why I own it. And one of the enduring trends that I think we talked about earlier is, is e-commerce is not going away. People like the convenience, they like to order from their computer. Uh, going back to work, you, you may not have time to go to the grocery store, mm. so you can choose someone like Amazon and their prime service is also doing well. And they recently, uh, you know, a few weeks ago or a month and a bit bought a, a major movie studio. So we'll see what mm. they have in store. Yeah, no, it sounds, um, it sounds like a good one to, uh, you know, to pick up if you haven't already for you know for for sure yeah you, you can't be you can't be totally biased against you know big medium or small you, you recognize within my within my norp fund i i have a bit of both and for the most part with there, there are always exceptions you're going to get higher growth rate with small companies but there's greater risk so that's why i have only a small section of, of acorns uh one or one to three percent and you have to really 
you have to do a lot of homework on the small cap companies to make sure you've got it right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Mike, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for the conversation. Um, I love hearing your perspectives and um, and also getting some good stock ideas and really kind of being able to uh, to drill down into how you think about these companies and therefore why you own them. I think that that's really valuable for people to hear and understand. Well, I appreciate it, Catherine. I look forward to doing the next one. Yay, great. <laughs> we'll do that.